Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm your I'm Chris Carter, your host here, running solo today. Dale's got the day off, but tomorrow we'll be doing predictions and getting you ready for the Steelers game. Today we got to start by talking up about the Steelers offense. Now Dale wrote an article that's at the top of the site after Roethlisberger spoke Wednesday morning, and uh, it's about just basically the offense and where they are right now. And Roethlisberger talking about how the Steelers haven't hit their stride. And now you're probably thinking they're saying, duh, of course they didn't hit their stride, Chris. That's not an article. But guess what? It's what's it's what Roethlisberger says about how they're planning to hit their stride and how they're going through right now. Much like how you've heard Dale and I say, it doesn't matter how they win these games early on. It just matters that they're winning them because if they get to the and to, if they get into the playoffs, and Tom Reed and I say the same thing on today's morning Java. If they get into the playoffs, then there then then none of this will matter. Again, look at some of the losses that they had in the beginning of the 2008 season. Heck, look at some of the losses they had in the middle of the 2005 season when they won that Super Bowl. All it, it doesn't matter how ugly a win is early on in the season. It just matters how, how much you can how many wins you can get to get yourself in the playoffs so that you can play your best football there and that have that propel you forward. Roethlisberger said it this way, quote, "You look at the win-loss column, I know, I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who is getting the ball. It doesn't matter how many times we're running it or throwing it. It doesn't matter who is getting their stats. It matters that the team is getting that one stat that's most important. That's a win. Uh, and he, he further he furthers this up by saying, we don't go into any, any game saying, here's our percentage of run pass. We go into a game trying to win it. I've just been happy at the end of games that we've been able to utilize our four-minute offense in both games. That's something we take pride in. When we say we have to run the ball, that doesn't mean we have to run it more. We have to run it more effectively. Running it in the four-minute offense is effective running. Now, that's the thing is that this is Ben Roethlisberger doing what a leader is supposed to do in this situation and saying the things that are like, hey, you know what? You know, we got to focus on, we got to just focus on succeeding. It doesn't matter who gets the ball. And we've seen that so far. Look at the Steelers' wide receiver stats right now. Though Deontay Tar- Johnson does have the most targets, Juju has two touchdowns, Johnson has one touchdown, Washington has one touchdown, and Claypool has one touchdown. Those are all five of Ben Roethlisberger's passing touchdowns. Now, mind now, you know, now you look at that situation. That's evenly spread out. That's a situation that you can that, that you can work with in an in an offense. Um, Mike Tomlin also. Went in this, uh, went went in the mouth as well. He said, "We have, we have to be, we, uh, we have been able to close out games via the run. Uh, we have been able to possess the ball in the four minute offense. We we've had a lead in the latter part of the game and have been able to able to close out the game uh, and maintain possession on the ball primarily via the run. I like that aspect of it, and we are still working and growing in terms of being able to do all the things that we want to do, not only in that area of the game but in all areas of the game. But I think it is a good start." When you have your four-minute offense rolling and you're able to possess the ball via the run and preserve a lead at the end of a football game, that's the bottom line. Is that they're tr- the Steelers are trying to find a balance in this offense, and part of that balance does involve running the ball. And part of running the ball finds out how you have b- best effectively run the ball. And it's not easy to run the ball when your best lineman is out. We'll get into that in the second segment, but that's what they were dealing with. David DeCastro was out. Stefan Wisniewski was out. They had Kevin Donson. You're not sure what run's going to work in this situation. When you, when, when you as a coordinator 
call a certain run play. You call, or call any play for that matter. When you call plays, these are plays that you've tried several times over in practice, and you're going with the play that you've had the most successes with. But even when you have the most success with in practice, it doesn't mean that you're going to have the most success with in the game. You often find that chemistry in a season. That's why it was so important for years when the Steelers, I think it was four straight years, they had the same starting five offensive linemen across the board. Villanueva, Foster, Pouncey, DeCastro, Gilbert. That, that, that group, I think it was three or four years in a row, they had the same guys starting for the offensive line. That meant when they had Le'Veon Bell or even eventually James Conner, when they had those guys come up, they knew exactly what run plays they could they could count on in, in serious situations because they had years of working on it and seeing how they worked against different teams. This offensive line doesn't have that. Matt Filer is playing, what, his third game, fourth game at the guard at the left guard position? Uh uh, Kevin Dotson play, he was playing his first ever game in the NFL. Chukuma Korfor playing his third ever game, I think, started in the NFL. Um, he's played more games, but he, starting-wise, I think that was his third or fourth start for the team. But point being, they still have to figure out what works for them. That takes time. That's part of what Ben Roethlisberger is talking about here. That's part of what Mike Tomlin's talking about here. And because they do want to run the football, that's part of how you wind the clock down. That's how you stretch the clock out and make it so that the other team doesn't get their offense back on the field. Because no matter how great your defense is, in that last drive, this is still an offensive league. But I think it's important to note that in the past seven times, the Steelers have been up by a single possession in the last possession of the game. When the defense has, got, has had to defend the field, they've held up. They did it all last year. They did it again, and they did it again against the Broncos this past week. That's where the Steelers are right now. Is that you can do that, but eventually the offense is going to have to take to take that to take that that burden off them. They're going to have to be the team that closes out a couple games. I mean, look back at 2008. How many times did that defense close close games out? When you had whether it was Paul Malu's pick six, and then Ryan Clark's destroying of Willis McGahee in the AFC Championship game against the Ravens. Um, you can look back to several times during the season with times that they closed out and they had renegades and were playing it. But in the Super Bowl, eventually the offense had to become had to be the hero because the defense had done it way too many times eventually every defense is going to break when you play the great teams um uh so uh so so with that i think it's a, it's a really good article about what they're working on and how they're working things in mike tomlin also said earlier in the week that he was still planning on working the tight ends into the situation because eric ebron and vance mcdonald haven't gotten their stats yet that's where I'm looking at, and I'm saying like, man, and Mike Thomas said like, oh, it's coming. He said, you know, don't don't count on that for too long. They're finding their groove. It takes time to find that groove, and even though we're all excited to see Ben Roethlisberger back, and he threw a deep ball to Chase Claypool, that cannot overstate the fact that they still have to find chemistry. Chemistry takes time, so Steeler Nation, be patient. Also, you're 2-0, so I think it's important to take that into perspective as well. We're going to take a quick break here. We come back. We're going to talk about David DeCastro and the news that we got right after this.
Welcome back to the DK Steelers Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, running solo today. Dale has got the day off, but tomorrow we talk predictions. Before we get there, there might be an important factor for the Steelers prediction because we saw David DeCastro back on the field. Now, we said that this was, might happen, that this could happen. Dale was saying he was confident, but we finally saw it, and there was some excitement amongst the Steelers. Juju Smith-Schuster said it said it on Wednesday in the media session. He said having him back would be huge for us. And then David DeCastro was seen in practice making plays, or well, making blocks rather. So it's good to it's good to see that he sat out the entire first week of padded practice, returned for a week during the training camp, then was out into uh, out for the rest of the uh, of. Uh, was seen uh, when they did the the sort of the mock game on August 29th. Then after they did the mock game, uh, they, you, you saw that he was out for the rest of training camp. You haven't seen him the first or second weeks. Mike Tomlin said this guy would be back, and here he is practicing on Wednesday. We'll see if he keeps going on Thursday. Um, that's going to be interesting to keep uh, to keep keep going. But uh, we look at the we look at the the, the, the situation with with David DeCastro, and I can't overstate how important he is. When I say that there's an anchor to the offensive line, he is an anchor, and an anchor means the guy that everyone can play around and depend upon. Because when you do that, you can count on you can count when you have that guy. It makes everyone else's job easier. We love Ramon Foster, and he's here, part of the part of, and part of our team here at DKPittsburghSports.com. But in those primary years when Le'Veon Bell was trend-setting in the NFL with all the numbers he was putting up, the anchors of that offensive line were Pouncey, DeCastro, and Gilbert. They were the dominant forces. Ramon Foster was a very good guard as well. But I think even he would say, like, you know, those were the big names. And Pouncey and DeCastro were the guys making all pros. I think it's a shame that Gilbert never got to the Pro Bowl. Uh, but and then Villanueva also filling in very well for the for the team. I think that you know he's had some up and downs since then. But the point was, you could Villanueva could could kind of focus on his job and not have to back anyone up when he had Foster next to him. Foster didn't have to worry about anything because he had Pouncey and Pouncey. Pouncey didn't have to worry about anything because he had Foster and DeCastro around him. And then DeCastro didn't have to worry anything. It, it goes down the line. You see where I'm saying with this. But you look at. David DeCastro, you look at how this team, um, you you look you look at him coming back, and you see how this team's built this year. They still got to learn, how, you know, what how good Okorafor is going to be because he's the right tackle now in, in Zach Banner's absence. They weren't able to really assess how good Wisniewski could be because he's out after one game. Kevin Dotson got in there; they liked what they saw, but still, it's just one game. DeCastro comes back in there. Well, now again, like I was saying in the last in the last segment. Now Randy Feekner's like, okay, I remember these run plays that we that he, that he was good at. We know he can pull and hit somebody in space. We can count on him to win that matchup. That's going to help for the long run. David DeCastro being back is huge. Now for the rest of the Steelers injury report, um, uh, players that were held out of practice uh, were Juju Smith-Schuster with a knee injury, Deontay Johnson with a toe injury and nose tackle, Tyson Lulu with, with a knee contusion. Um... It was uh, there were there were guys giving coaches days off. Were Ben Roethlisberger, Marquise Pouncey, Cam Hayward, and Stephon Tuitt. I think that again, I said this last week. Don't panic just yet. Um, oh, also, uh, Bud Dupree uh, actually was a full participant in practice, so it looks like his shoulder is good to go. Uh, but what's huge for the Steelers here is that when you remember, this is the you know th- this they're still getting back into the swing of beat you up on Sunday. 
ice you up on Monday, study film on Tuesday, practice Wednesday through Friday, walk through Saturday, play Sunday. That grind, that process, it's challenging. It get your your body has to adjust to it, which is why preseason games are important in you know for coaches because they want to see people stand you know you know stand and play and then get in get in, get through those moments deal with their bumps and bruises ice up come back stay focused for an entire week keep practicing and get into that mode and when your body gets used to that and you've seen this in some years when your body gets used to that then you see less injuries that's why we're seeing injuries all across the NFL right now the Niners are being decimated though that might also be a turf issue that's a whole other story but you know but we've seen Saquon Barkley Christian McCaffrey all these guys that 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 are that are stars in this league and have shown before that they can take punishment. Now they're breaking down. Why? Because their bodies weren't attuned back to playing football. You can be in great shape. And Ike Taylor, the the Steelers' two-time Super Bowl champion cornerback himself, he's told me that it's different from being in football shape and being in shape. Ike said he would train 24/7, 365 all the way around the year to be in the best shape of his life. But he said when he got to Steelers camp, you still had to get in football shape. And then you had to get used to it. Now, what's crazy is some people often talk about, oh, the 70s, they were rough and tough. Well, part of, again, the 70s, they had six preseason games. They had like two months almost of training camp. That process was ground into them. And by the time the actual season came, your body was used to that process. Now, the thing is, is also you get more concussions, more lifelong injuries. The studies have shown that those prolonged those prolonged effects do impact your quality of life. So the NFL has to find that balance of okay, we got to get these guys into a time system of getting ready to play, but also we have to make sure that they are not being overexposed to blunt force blunt force trauma the way that you are that you are in football. And, and, and part of that trauma, that's part of the game. Hits are hits are going to happen. You know, bruises and bones breaking and things like that. You know, that's all part of the physical sport. But they're trying to protect their players as best they can. It's a tough balance to have. So this is the Steelers right now. When they're holding guys out, trust and believe that's because they're they're they know how to manage their guys. And they're saying, hey, you know what? These guys know their jobs. We trust them right now. We're going to let them ice up and get back out there. And you know what? Like Deontay Johnson, even though he was held out for a toe and he may not be, may have been a coach's decision, like, yeah, he needs to work on his chemistry with Ben Roethlisberger. But you know what they don't need? Him aggravating that toe and making it worse and then not being able to go 100% on game day. Same thing for Juju Smith-Schuster and for Tyson Alulu, who has played extremely well. And I, I think I talked about this with Dale on the show earlier in the week, but Tyson Alulu has been a force for the Steelers. He's 33 years old, a former top 10 overall pick in the NFL draft by the Jaguars that didn't pan out for them, but he is panning out for the Steelers. Also, funny story, one time uh, Tyson and I, we knew each other from camp because I asked him a few questions. I saw him in line for a... Uh, uh, what's her name? Ariana Grande concert. Uh, don't, I, I was going for my girlfriend. I was going for my girlfriend. It, it was her Christmas gift. I gave, I bought it for her. And then Tyson and I looked at each other and we both like, well, we know we're here not for us. We're here for other people. Um, so uh, little insight on both of our lives. Anyways, um, uh, moving forward also with the Texans injury report, they're a little banged up as well. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the two key players, Will, Will Fuller and Duke Johnson, uh, we're back at practice on Wednesday, even though Johnson was a little limited. Uh, but uh, you know we've seen we've seen a, f- a few players 
Um, another other players limited for the Texans were Brandon Cooks, their receiver that's bounced around every team in the NFL, and I do mean almost every. Um, inside linebacker Peter Columbay, uh, left tackle Laramie Tunsil, who I think is going to be huge for this game. Of course, J.J. Watt and uh, Cullen uh, Gillespie, Gillespie, Gillespie. I think that's how I think that's how you said it. Part of my mispronounced the name, but Laramie Tunsil and. Uh, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks and J.J. Watt. Those are the big names there. If Tunsil has issues, this offense attack, th these offensive tackles for the Texans, they are already under siege from the Ravens. If the Steelers can get after them and cause them problems, whew, I, I think it, it could be a really rough day um, for, uh, I think it'd be a really rough day for the Texans because Deshaun Watson was hit 13 times last, last week against the Ravens. He was sacked four times. If that's the Ravens who don't have the edge rushers, the Steelers do. My goodness, this could be a lot of trouble for for the for the for the Texans. And David Johnson, though, I do think he's better than most people expected. He, he ain't gonna pick you up out of that all the time. I think this could really work in the Steelers' favor, even if those guys are healthy. They're gonna be bringing it. Texans need to be at full strength. They're 0-2. They're desperate. If they go 0-3, they do get the Vikings in week four, which is would be a presumed win. But uh they're you know, and they're in the AFC South, which isn't a dominant division, but they need to assert themselves soon. Uh and it's going to be a it's already been a rough year for them. Now, granted, they faced the Ravens and the and the and the Chiefs in the first two weeks, or two presumably the best offense, the best best teams in the AFC, maybe even in the league. And uh, that may be unfair, but hey, them's the berries. You got to deal with what you do. And now Pittsburgh's you know, now Pittsburgh coming to town, or rather you're coming to Pittsburgh. So uh, lots of lots of stuff there that could be crazy. Uh, Dale and I will give a full preview with this game tomorrow, giving you our predictions on all of this games on Sunday, um, and uh, the games on and the Steelers game, as well as my Showtime segment to predict who will get the game balls. As for Thursday night football, I will give you my prediction. I have the Jaguars beating the Dolphins simply because the Jaguars have been more consistent. Gardner Minshew's been playing well. The Dolphins haven't been able to stop any any uh, quarter any any quarterback they face, whether it's Cam Newton or Josh Allen. Um, and Byron Jones is out. They haven't really figured out what's going on in the secondary when he was healthy. They were supposed to be able to lean on him and Xavier Howard. That hasn't happened. I foresee problems in their future. We're going to take one more quick break. When we come back, it's going to be time for Don't Get Me Started. What got me started? Find out after this. Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm Chris Carter, and you're listening to Don't Get Me Started. Don't get me started about TJ Watt's chances to make MVP or defensive MVP for the NFL. This is Chris Carter here from the DK Steelers podcast with a Don't Get Me Started rant here. Listen, TJ Watt maybe didn't deserve it last year over Chandler Jones, who did have more sacks. Stephon Gilmer, who won it. But I'm telling you right now, if T.J. Watt gets dissed out of this this year and he puts up the year that he's on pace for right now, there's going to be problems. Because right now he has two and a half sacks 
That's the most in the NFL. The only person that's tied with him is Chase Young, the rookie. Ugh, that's scary. Uh, but T.J. Watt has two and a half sacks and an interception and is looking like an unstoppable force on what may become the, the league's best defense. Stephon Gilmore, on the other hand, just got torched by a second-year receiver in D.K. Metcalf last week on the Patriots' loss to the, to the Seattle Seahawks. I look at this situation... And I see T.J. Watt as a guy who's on the warpath. And it really does seem like he's on the warpath, not necessarily because someone said something to him that proved wrong. Like, he, he believes that he's ready to just take over this league. The way that you see him play... Every down. I mean, I, I go through the... You guys know me. I'm a film I'm a film addict. I watch football film. When you watch him on the field, he don't take a play off, man. He's engaging. He's working different moves. He's forcing offensive tackles to think. And honestly, when you look back through these last two games, and this should be part of the NFL MVP discussion, there's so many times he is pulled to the ground. There's so many times that you see him pulled by his jersey and he looks back and he's like he's yanked backwards as he beats his man and it's not called James Harrison went through that a lot in his career too but when you look at that if you're a real NFL awards voter person whoever those people are I don't have that power I, I have to imagine that that's part of this too is that teams are selling out they're going all the way to stop to stop TJ Watt from getting sacks from being the game changer that he is, and it's still not working. He had an interception in the first game and two and a half sacks in the, in the second game. Now, granted, again, this is just two games, but again, they're going up against Deshaun Watson, who holds on to the ball in the offensive line that he has has not been giving him any favors. They still got to play Baker Mayfield twice. They still got to play Joe Burrow twice. They still got to play Lamar Jackson, who they were getting after last year, too. They still have to play Josh Allen. I mean, there's a there's a there's a lot of chances for this to work. They still got to play the Jacksonville Jaguars with Gardner Minshew, Philip Rivers, who we saw them get after him when we used the Chargers last year. T.J. Watt has a real chance to be a true wrecking ball, and I'm here to say right now, if he gets the stats, if he gets if he's if he's up there amongst the leaders the leaders in sacks in sack production, I think he better get the award. And it better not be Miles Garrett, because Miles Garrett, you look over his career, I don't think there's a single year Miles Garrett has had more sacks than, than TJ Watt. And that's with them being drafted in the same draft class. TJ Watt was drafted what? Third to next, third to last in his round in the first round. Miles Garrett was drafted first overall. He's outperforming everybody. Like in a redraft right now, I think that the Browns would. They may not say it openly, but I think they would take T.J. Watt in the first with a first overall pick. With if you got to know who was who right now. Now I also think that T.J. Watt. I I have to. I don't know. I've never been in these voting rooms. Now Dale's been in Hall of Fame voting rooms. He knows the politics of those games. But I do wonder if his if his Watt name will hurt him or help him in those situations, or if it won't matter. Maybe it won't. But I can see some people being like, you know what? We've given the Watts enough. J.J. Watt won it three times. Enough is enough. Let's give it to other people. Or that people might say, yeah, you know what? I remember that name. That's a good name. I like T.J. Congratulations to him. I'm going to give him a vote. But honestly, 
keep watching this game. And I'm saying this because I have the full and utmost confidence that he's going to put together a complete year for the Steelers. Again, he's done it before, but this complete year is going to be even better. He's increased his sack numbers every year. I think by the end of the season, he will average more than a sack per game. That means he's, he himself will have more than 16 sacks on record. That's going to be tough, but I think that he can do it. And if he does do it with the interceptions, because I think there's more coming there too, and you consider what teams have tried to do to sell out to stop him, that's going to lead to some problems for, uh, for, for me if he's not number one in the defensive MVP voting. Especially when Stephon Gilmore, who was your guy last year, is already getting torched. We'll see. We'll see about safeties and other people like that, and see if Chase Young continues to push with his high end numbers. But I think it all it should also count if the Steelers do lead the NFL in sacks for a fourth year in a row. A historic trend. They've three, no one's done it, for, done it for three years. If they do it for four years, it's even more unprecedented. But if T.J. Watt's part of that legendary defense and part of make getting the team to the playoffs for the first time in three years, and if this team goes far and he's the MVP of the team, that needs to be counted into consideration over someone who gets a lot of sacks on a team that stinks. Or a defense that's not all the way there. You just get sacks because your defense is just always out there because no one else is doing it for you. Because the Steelers still got a loaded defense. The rest of the front four is, is great. The, the, the secondary is talented. The linebackers are moving sideline to sideline. It's there. And I truly think that if you're looking at this and you're being, you're being realistic, Steelers fans, you will have a strong case for T.J. Watt. And do not stay. If he, if he averages over a game, uh, over a sack a game by the end of the season, we you, you all should ride at dawn. You should go right out there and be like, you know what? We're tired of this. Get the defensive MVP. We've had enough of this. But y'all got me started. And this has been Don't Get Me Started here on the DK Steelers Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a five-star review with a positive comment on Apple Podcast. If you're if you're liking it, also subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere podcasts are hosted. However you get your podcasts, you can also get us. We also have the DK Pirates Podcast, the DK Daily Shot. We've got Noah's No Doubters and Noah's Down Memory Lane. All of those podcasts are available right here on this channel for you to just download and listen to every day, whether you're headed to work, you're at work, you're coming home for work, you're getting ready for work, whatever. If you're just at home chilling, we are fun. We're glad to have you with us. And we're going to have a lot more fun tomorrow when Dale and I give our picks for every single game this weekend and we go into my my Showtime segment. From Chris Carter here at DKPittsburghSports.com, thanks for listening. Be back here tomorrow.